What a great year, 2021. Um, I am really looking forward to the way the Lord is going to work this year. And I know that this is going to be a good year. There's a lot of ways that things are going to improve. But we also know that there will be challenges this year too. And I am excited about that. Um, I'm just, uh, it's been really fun to kind of think through um, as a church, what do we want to work on this year? And uh, just getting the staff together to kind of brainstorm and just go, okay, um, how can we be more effective? How can we grow in our effectiveness? And so I'm just really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to growing in unity, love, and a really specific purpose. And so that's, that's just going to be wonderful. Uh, we are back in the book of Matthew, and we are going to be considering this morning that God's generous grace is not fair. God's generous grace is so amazing. We love it, but it's not necessarily fair. And thank goodness that it is not fair. And so we're going to be considering that. Now, just to rewind and kind of summarize Matthew, um, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was a tax collector. Uh, He was an outcast. And one of the amazing things is the way God uses him to communicate truth about Jesus. And so the book of Matthew really presents Jesus as God who took on flesh and lived a human life in order to be our representative. And Matthew emphasizes that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy that he is the Messiah. The other thing that you'll notice in Matthew is there is this significant emphasis on genuine salvation, not being religious, but genuinely knowing the Lord and then living that out. And uh, that's just wonderful. And one of the things that we're going to see specifically this morning is just the priority that it is for us as believers to recognize God's generous grace in our life and to be thankful for it. And I think when we see God's generous grace in our life, we'll be thankful for that and we'll be thankful for the grace that we see in the lives of other people. I think sometimes the challenge is uh, we get used to the things we have in our life. We get used to the ways that God is blessing us, and we actually get to the place where we start to think that we deserve the goodness in our life. And then when we see somebody else who, who appears to have more goodness or better goodness than we do, we see God's grace poured out in the lives of people that don't deserve it. And then sometimes we start to think, hey, this isn't fair. Look at all that I've done. Look at all these wonderful things. Why does that person get this? Why is this happening to that person? And all of a sudden, instead of looking at our lives and being thankful, we become dissatisfied. And that's one of the things that we're going to see. I love the book of Matthew. I love the way Jesus teaches because he has a way of just taking these things that we struggle with in life. When we kind of get tweaked, we kind of are just not looking at life correctly. And then Jesus kind of says, no, have a different perspective. Look at it this way. And that's one of the things that we are going to see in this passage. Um, Uh, So we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to spend some time actually just reading the parable. So our first thing is going to be to read this parable that Jesus tells. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to consider, well, okay, so this is what the parable is. Well, what does it actually mean? Well, what's the interpretation of this parable? 
And then finally, we're going to spend some time thinking about, okay, so what is this? How does this apply to me? What am I going to do in response to what I learn from this parable? And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. And this is an amazing parable. It's, it's wonderful. And this parable comes in the context of Matthew chapter 19. Now, you'll remember that the last time we were in Matthew, we considered the rich young ruler. Remember the guy who comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And he says, oh, I've kept the commandments. And then Jesus looks at him and he says... Well, there's one thing that you still lack. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And you remember that rich man? Uh, It says that he went away sad because he was very rich. And it's not that to become a Christian you need to give away all your money. It's that Jesus honed in. Remember Jesus said, if anybody wishes to come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Anybody who loves his father or mother or brothers or sisters more than me is not worthy of me. And so to follow Jesus, it doesn't take your money. It doesn't take your stuff. It takes everything. It's to say, Jesus, you are my priority. And so what Jesus does in this story with this rich man is he identifies you actually love your stuff more than me. And so for any of us, uh, what is the thing you value most? That is what Jesus would have filled in that blank for you with. Because following Jesus means we come to him, we recognize him as God, we bow down in our face before him and say, Jesus, I will follow and serve you. And so this man walks away sad. And so that's kind of the context of this parable. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But more specifically... This is a response to Peter's response to that situation. Do you remember how Peter responded? Peter looks at this rich man, and remember that when Jesus called his disciples, they left everything and followed Jesus. The exact same thing that Jesus said of this rich man, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. That is actually what Jesus did with all of his disciples. And those disciples made a different choice. They were in the middle of working in their father's business, and Jesus said, come follow me. And they immediately left everything and followed him. And so now you see Peter, and he's going, okay, (laughs) wait, this guy, he says that his money's too valuable, and he didn't leave that. Well, what about us? Because we left everything to follow you. What are we going to get? Do you remember that question that, Jesus, that Peter asked? And Jesus responds to Peter, and he just tells him that you're going to sit in my millennial kingdom. When I come back and I rule on earth, you will sit on 12 thrones. Not only will you sit on, sit on 12 thrones, but everybody who has left everything to follow me will have a hundredfold more in this life, and they will have eternal life. And so he, he, he lovingly says to Peter, Peter, you are going to have a great reward. And, uh, but then he makes this statement at the end of chapter 19 and verse 30. He says, but the first 
will be last, and the last will be first. And this is how we know that this parable is actually an answer to Peter. Jesus is going to give Peter some additional information. Yes, you're going to receive a great reward. But one of the things we notice about Peter, and it's not just Peter, it's all of us, is that Peter always was saying, what about me? Do you ever go through life and think, but what about me? Remember when, uh, when Jesus is talking to the apostle John and or he tells Peter, you're going you're gonna to die, you're going to be crucified. And Peter's like, well, wait a second. Well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, well, maybe John's going to live until I come. That has nothing to do with you. You just do what I tell you to do. And you have Peter talking about forgiveness, always going, well, what if I forgive seven times in Matthew 18? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. Peter's focus was, what about me? What am I going to get? There was this this, uh, um, self-promotion, and that's something that we can all struggle with. What about me? Am I going to be appropriately rewarded? And so Jesus says, no, Peter. When you follow me, you'll have a great reward along with everyone who follows me. But remember this, the first will be last, and the last will be first. So that's the last verse of chapter 19. Then you have our parable, which is verse 1 through 16. And right smack in the middle, you see in the parable, it's put the last first. And then Jesus repeats that phrase in verse 16, the first will be last. And the last will be first. So we will look at that. So that's the context. So let's read this parable. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because nobody has hired us. And then he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Okay, so that's like the background of the, pedal, parable, of the parable, but these next, this next section is where the lesson comes. Let me, let me read that. So this is verse 10 through 16. Now when those who hired, were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal with us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, 
I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I, gave, as I, as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You know, this story is a story that has the purpose of looking into Peter's heart, and not just Peter, but every single one of us. Jesus is looking into our hearts, and he's telling us a story that allows us to evaluate our motives. It allows us to think about what we are doing, how we view God, how we view ourselves. And there is a powerful lesson in this for every single one of us. I got to tell you that the issue in this parable I see in my own life. There's so many times that I start to view life and then I have to stop and go, okay, wait, no, no, hold on. I'm seeing things incorrectly. I see it all around me. Sometimes there'll be a situation that impacts me and I start to feel like, man, this isn't fair. And then when I think about it, it's not fair and I know oh, I take a step back and, and then, you know, I try to work on my own heart and then somebody else watching the situation will come to me and say, that's not fair. What happened is not fair. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm trying to deal with this in my own life. And, and now you're like piling it on. And I see this happen for myself. Other people feel this way on my behalf. And I see other people doing it themselves. This is such a common spiritual mistake. It's something that each of us need to be able to recognize in our life and deal with. So let's consider the interpretation of this passage. So the first thing that I want to just point out is actually verse 1. What an incredible gift. Look at this. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Have you ever thought about the incredible privilege that you and I have what the kingdom of heaven is like, to have God himself explaining life, explaining the way spiritual things work, explaining heaven. Did you know that without God's specific instruction through scripture, we would have no way of knowing what God expects, how God intends to judge? There are so many people that when it comes to spiritual things, they just make up what they wish were true when the reality is the only way we can know anything about spiritual things is to have Jesus explain it. And so here we are going to learn through a common story the way we should view life spiritually. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that natural laws are observable? Like gravity. You know, spiritual laws, God made those just like natural laws. And we can study the natural laws. We can drop things. We can measure things. We can, we can evaluate things scientifically. And there, we can learn things about our world. But from a spiritual perspective, even though we see spiritual things, you can't fully understand or apply those things well. I'll give you one example, a spiritual law. God said that people reap what they sow right? And we kind of see that working its way out in life. You know, you don't even have to be a Christian to see that there is a God of the universe who is working things out and who is um, making sure that people reap what they sow. 
But you know the non-Christian world sees it. You know what they call it? They call it karma. And they just go, karma. You know, they, they see that all the time. But even though you can see these hints of God's spiritual laws working out, without Scripture, you misinterpret them, you misunderstand them, you don't actually understand the, full in, the fullness of them. And so here in this parable, we are going to learn what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, in this kingdom, um, there's a master. The master is God himself. He's the vineyard owner. He's the one who hires the vineyard workers. It's his vineyard. It's his money. He's the one providing for, giving a a job to. Um, He is the gracious, generous person in this story. The laborers in the vineyard, those are Christians. Uh, When God hires laborers in this story, that's when a person comes to faith in Christ. That's when a person comes to know the Lord. So all of these vineyard workers represent believers. Now, the labor in the vineyard, that's what happens in a Christian's life when God saves you and then you spend your life dedicated to honoring and worshiping and serving God. So the labor corresponds to a Christian's life. And then the agreement, the the denarius, um, that is all God's grace and God's reward in your life, including heaven. Do you remember in the previous discussion with Um, with the rich man when he's talking about how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And and in that whole conversation, one of the things that, that that, that, that that Jesus says to the disciples is that you'll receive all these things in this life a hundredfold and eternal life. And so that reward, that denarius, it includes all of God's goodness that is displayed in a person's life. Um, Both now and for eternity. Now, a denarius, a denarius is um, a day's wage. And, and it was a, I think it was a generous offering for a day laborer. It's what a Roman soldier would make. So it was a day's wage. And um, this, is, this is actually a coin that was um, from 14 AD to 37 AD. So while Jesus is telling this story, this is a denarius that would be handed out. When I went to Israel, I went and found one of these denariuses. This is not mine. Um, I wanted to buy like two widow's mites and I wanted to buy a denarius, but I wanted to make sure that they were from the day of Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool to hold a coin that got passed around in Jesus's day? Um, But I just wasn't sure I could trust any of the people I was talking to. So I didn't buy anything. But I just think at least we can see this picture of a coin that circulated during this time of Jesus. And so um, I want to talk about these workers. And if you think about in Jesus' story, um, these workers are people that God has saved. And let's think about what early and the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour and the eleventh hour. What, what would that correspond to in, your and I, in, in our lives so early, um, basically, when, um, when people went out, it says he went out uh, going about early. Um, early is 6 a.m. A common workday would be 6 in the morning until 6 in the evening. And so the third hour would be 9 a.m. 
So he picks some people up at 6, and they're going to be working 12 hours. He picks other people up at 9, then they're going to work. Other people he picks up at noon, some at 3, and some at 5. So which worker are you? If you became a believer at a young age, if you grew up Christian, there's a book that was written called Growing Up Christian. And it's interesting because when you grow up Christian, there are some unique struggles that people have that are unique to just being in the church. And, and when, when you've served God your whole life, you've come to faith early at, at, at like as a, as a child. You've grown up in Sunday school. You've spent your, your life honoring the Lord. And one of the things that, that seems to happen in the lives of kids who have grown up early is that there seems to be sometimes a pridefulness. They feel like, oh, I'm not as bad. I've always done these good things. I've been serving God my whole life. And so a person, an early worker, that would be a person who grew up Christian, came to faith at a young age. And then when Jesus goes out and he grabs some people in the third hour, which would be 9 a.m., that would be like me, a person who um, came to faith as a high school student. And I remember coming to faith as a high school student. It was the week I graduated from high school, and, and I became a Christian. And so I wasted all those years living a sinful life. And then I came to know the Lord, and from my adult life, I have dedicated my life to following and serving the Lord. Then there's other people who come to faith later. The, the sixth hour, that, that would be like people who went to work at noon. So if you're like, if you came to Christ at 35, 40, somewhere around there, then that's you. You lived half of your life not serving the Lord. And then halfway through life, you came to faith, you came to know who Jesus is, and you dedicated your life to serving the Lord from that point forward. Uh, any of you become, come to know the Lord at 50, uh, 55? See, those are the ninth hour workers. They've lived their whole life basically just pursuing themselves, selfish interests, and then they come to know the Lord at 50 or 60, and they realize the purpose and the point of life and they dedicate their life to serving the Lord faithfully. And then there's those folks who are the 11th hour folks. Now those are people who come to know the Lord at 70 or 80. At the end of their life, those are the people who are deathbed confessions. I think about people that I've met, that I've spent time talking to. One lady was young, she's about 45, but she was laying in her hospital bed, she was dying. And she called and she just said, can you come talk to me because I'm afraid to die. And I showed up at the hospital. I had a conversation with her. She prayed to receive Christ and died within days. Um, those are the 11th hour people, the people who come to know the Lord at the end of their life, like the thief on the cross, came to know the Lord at the end of his life. And so think about where you fall in that scale. Um, one of the things that we see is that God is so generous. In this passage, um, God is going out and he's finding laborers and he's meeting their needs. You know, there's nothing in this parable about, oh, the grapes were rotting, uh, the, the parable, the, the landowner needed more people. He's going out and he's getting people and he's giving them a job. He's saying, you need provision, you're hungry. I'll make an agreement to pay you a certain amount to take care of your needs so that you can eat. And those were those early workers. He's saying, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to provide for you. 
And then he goes out and he gets more people. And then towards the end of the day, he he goes back out into the marketplace and he's saying, hey, what are you guys doing? Uh, They're idle. It's not that they were lazy. They were in an unemployment line. Uh, they, they were like the day laborers that, you know, I know out by Home Depot, there, there would be people who would just line up in a group. And in the city that I lived, there was an area where, where people would just stand because they needed a job, they needed work, and anybody could just drive by, pick them up. And, and here's a group of people who are sitting there not because they're lazy, but they have needs. And they need to work, and they need a job, and they're not being hired. And when this landowner says, hey, how come you're standing here doing nothing? The response is, well, nobody would hire me. And uh, we're, we're that, now think about that as we come back. We'll, we'll touch on this again. But would you rather get a job and know I'm going to be paid and my needs are going to get met? What would be better, to actually get a job and to work right away knowing that you're going to be okay? Or would it be better to stand somewhere all day long, not working, but worrying, wondering, how will I feed my family? What am I going to do? And you have all that pressure and stress, or you're just relaxed. You know, I'm taken care of. My needs have been promised to have been met. See, in this parable, the person who started working first in the day feels like, I worked really hard. I did all of this. Look at all this stuff. And you had it easy. And that's one of those lessons in life that on many, many occasions, our perspective is inaccurate. We all know how hard we work. We all know what we're going through. But we don't actually know what is going on in other people's lives. And so that's one of the things that you'll see here. God is gracious, he is generous, and he meets their needs. You know, it's interesting in this parable, have you ever thought about this? That this parable owner deliberately paid the 11th hour people first and the first hour people last. You ever thought about the intentionality of that? And I want to just throw something out there for us to think about as you go through circumstances in your life. Have you ever thought about the fact that God is sovereign? Everything you see, everything you go through, everything you experience is because of God's purpose in your life. See, in this parable, God is going to teach these people a lesson. He's going to expose something in, in the heart. Have you ever thought about the fact that as you go through life, as you see things, as you react to them, as you respond to what you see, God is testing your heart. Have you thought about that? That, that nothing that happens in life is an accident. When you start to feel jealous, when you feel envious, when you look at life and you say, this isn't fair, anytime you're frustrated by those kind of things, that was a deliberate plan of God to expose what was in your heart so that you could see it, so that you could respond rightly to it. You know, um, every single one of those opportunities, when we respond well, have you, ever, have you ever been in a situation like that and you've responded well? See, that's wonderful. That's amazing. But then you've got to watch out for pride. See, even that's a test. If you respond incorrectly, you respond poorly, 
that's an opportunity to reevaluate and grow. When I see those things happen in my life and all of a sudden my attitude gets sour, that is a chance for me to say, okay, this is not what God intended. This is a chance for me to work on my heart. Let's take a step back. What am I looking at wrong? What am I thinking about incorrectly? How can I correct that? Even when we blow it, that is an opportunity to change. But I just have a question for us. How often do we respond with envy, jealousy, judgmentalism? We'll talk about some of those qualities. And we actually justify it. We have a bad attitude. We know it's not spirit-filled. We view other people in a way that we know God doesn't want us to view them. And we excuse it. We justify it. And we make no effort to change and to grow. What a terrible thing. When as believers, there's that little thing in your conscience where you know, I'm not thinking right, I'm not acting right, but then we just dismiss it and continue on because we see everyone else doing the same thing. Instead of saying, no, I want to please the Lord. When God shows me something, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to work on it. You know, one of the things that we see in this passage is this perilous perspective. Like it kind of may seem normal, Uh, In a sense, is it not normal that if you worked all day long and you were paid a denarius and then other people around you came and worked and they got paid the same, even the guy who only worked an hour got the same thing you got? I mean, wouldn't you just say, hey, wait a second, this isn't fair. And that may seem like a normal thing, like an appropriate thing. But look at verse 9. I want to point out something that's just really something that should get our, att- our attention. It's something that should, man, it should cause us to shudder. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them, verse 9, received a denarius. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. An attitude of entitlement. They thought they deserved it. And in many cases in our life, don't we do that? They grumbled at the master. You know, that is, when you think about God's grace, God's generosity, God's kindness in your life, he's pouring out his goodness. And then our response is to be mad at people and to be mad at God, and to say, God, how could you let me go through this? How could you let this happen in my life? This isn't fair. They're not suffering, but I'm suffering. Look what they have, but I don't have this. Have you thought about how terrible it is to be a person who grumbles? You know, um, that's one of the reasons it's valuable to, to read the Old Testament. See, there were some worship leaders in Israel And they started grumbling against God. They looked at Moses, and they just said, hey, this isn't fair. Uh, Moses, God speaks through you, but you're not the only one. He speaks through us too. Yeah, Moses, you're worshiping God, but but I worship God too. And uh, this story in in the book of Numbers, it's kind of crazy because Moses just says, "Um, hey, God designed this. God set this all up. If you don't like it, your problem's with him. Now I want you to think about this. Every time you grumble, about your life, even when you're grumbling against another person. See, they were grumbling against Moses. Every time you grumble, you're ultimately grumbling against the Lord. And you want to know what happened to those people? Moses says, hey, we're just going to let God sort this out. 
And then he says to Israel, hey, everybody, get away from those people and get away from any of their belongings. And so everybody like runs away from them. And Moses says, well, if they die a natural death, then God is not speaking through me. But if something uh, miraculous happens, then you'll know that, that God's in charge of this. What happened to people when they grumbled in the Old Testament? At one point, they were bitten by snakes. It was all kinds of things. But here, I'll just read what it says in number 1632. It says, And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods, so that they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth was closed up over them, and they perished in the midst of the assembly. So they're grumbling, and the ground just goes, boom, they fall in, and it closes. No more grumblers. <laughs> like, think about that. And one of the things that's really cool when you hear this parable is in this parable, nobody gets swallowed by the ground. Now, we're going to see God's gracious response to grumblers. So they're grumbling. What was their specific reason for grumbling? Uh, look at this. It's interesting. It, it was status. It was pride. Look, look what it says here. These last worked only for an hour, and you've made them equal to us. They're complaining. They're saying, hey, wait a second. I deserve more credit than them, but you're giving us equal credit. Have you ever felt like that? You worked really hard, and you were not appropriately recognized for what you did. You were not appreciated. Man, there's tons of people not doing anything, and I was there working hard, and nobody saw it, and nobody appreciated it. In fact, they appreciated everyone. You know, it's like you were there. You were working from, like, early until late, the day before. Nobody saw it. And these other people show up, and they, like, do some minor thing, and everybody gets appreciated equally. You ever feel like, man, that's just not fair. That is not right. I did more. I deserve more. And you've made them equal. I didn't get exalted the way I should have been exalted. You know, here's the interesting thing. Think about this. If there were none of those other workers, they would have been happy with what they had. Like they came to an agreement where the, the guy says, hey, I'll, I'll pay you this much. Oh, I'm happy for that. Have you ever been happy with your car until you saw someone else's car? Have you ever been happy with your house until you saw somebody else's house? Have you ever been happy with your spouse until you saw someone else's spouse? I mean, how often would we be happy if this is all we could see? But then we see, and it just seems like somebody else has it better, and it makes us dissatisfied with what we have. So it's the status. It's the burden. Um, you'll notice that it says, we bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Here are some people working in a vineyard in scorching heat in Israel. And they're just saying, we're working all day in this vineyard. And what were they doing? And, and again, it's that example of the fact that it's, it's a person, when, when we grumble, when we're dissatisfied, when we judge other people, you know, we are assuming a knowledge that we don't have. You do not know what somebody else's life is like. You do not know what another person needs. But there is somebody who knows everything. And when you grumble, you're saying, God, I know better than you. With my limited perspective, I know what the right thing to do is. 
instead of saying, no, you're sovereign, you have the right to do whatever you want to do, and you're the one who actually knows how to do what's best. It's putting yourself in God's place. That's not something that we should ever do. You know, um, when it comes to salvation, my dad was an 11th hour person who got saved. And I, I think about this. When I became a Christian as an 18-year-old, I got a job working construction, and, and it was my purpose. I shared the gospel with every single person that I worked with. And so I had a partner that I worked with, and then I would go to a, just various job sites, and I would share the gospel with, like I'd work in the house with a carpenter, with plumbers, with just various people, and I would wear these Christian T-shirts, like my foot is on the rock and my name is on the roll, but it said rock and roll. And uh, I remember one time I wore that shirt to a Baptist church. And I walked into this Baptist church, and they, they were doing this James Dobson video or something. It was some kind of a video on the evils of rock and roll. My first time ever in the, in the service. And I got this, my foot is my, you know, rock and roll, but it was my, anyway. As I'm walking out, one of the ushers says, don't you feel stupid. And, uh, and I just said, did you read my shirt? <laughs> And then he read it, and he was like, oh. I was thinking, yeah, what a welcoming, wonderful way to treat a new person. You know, and I wanted to say, now don't you feel stupid. I didn't do that, though. <laughs> but one of the things I remember thinking about is all the friends I had in high school that I could have shared the gospel with, all the people I could have ministered to, a complete missed opportunity. I think about my dad becoming a believer at the end of his life. What an incredible privilege he missed out on. I thought about that as I was par parenting my kids, and I thought about the home I grew up in and then the home the, of, of, that I was parenting my kids in. You know, my dad never had an opportunity to invest financially in, in ministry. His whole life, he never gave to the church. He never gave to missions. He never took the resources that God gave him, and he never had the opportunity to invest those things in things of eternal value. My life growing up as a Christian, I thought, okay, I get to take the money that God gives me and invest it in spiritual things. My dad never got to take our family, organize our family, train us to function in the body of Christ, to use our gifts, to share the gospel with people at church. Like, he never organized our family to do spiritually valuable things. And so as I was raising my kids, I thought, you know what, I'm a, I'm a believer and Michelle's a believer and we're going to organize our family to function as faithful believers and to do things of spiritual significance with our lives. It was too late for my dad to ever spend any time investing in and discipling anybody. But I had the incredible privilege of being able to do that because God saved me when I was 18 years old instead of when I was 80. So I just want to ask you, who's better off in that story? Because working for the Lord is a privilege. It is a blessing. It's not this labor. It's not this sacrifice. It's this wonderful thing that we are blessed to be able to spend our life doing things of eternal significance. And, and a lot of times when you grow up Christian, when you've been saved at a young age, you miss the value of that. You feel like you've sacrificed to live faithfully before the Lord instead of realizing, no, this is an incredible gift. 
And, and you feel like all these people are out there, they're sinning, they're having all this fun, and you don't actually recognize the devastation, the, the destruction that comes from living a disobedient life. It's not a sacrifice to be hired at 6 a.m. It is not a sacrifice to serve without recognition, to just work hard for the Lord. That is not a sacrifice. That is a gift, and that is a blessing. And these early hire people had missed that. They felt like it's not fair. I've had to work all day instead of saying, oh, man, I've got to work all day. And they missed that perspective. That's right. Um, Personal application. I want to just hit a few things quickly, and you can pick one and consider it. But I think to start with, uh, the best thing we can do is to recognize our need for God's grace. We deserve nothing. In a sense, the reward that we get is because of Christ. The reason we all finish, you know, first or last is because if you started working first, you don't deserve it more than the person who, who, who started working last. Jesus is the reason we all deserve everything, and it's why we all get the same pay, because we get what Jesus has coming to him. It's all God's generous grace. Another thing is that God is sovereign. You need to recognize God is sovereign and wise. God works out everything. Now, I remember the the story of manna in the Old Testament. Some people worked really hard, and they gathered all this manna. And then when they measured it, it was just an omer. And then there was other people who went out. They didn't work very hard at all. They just gathered a little bit. But when they measured it, it was an omer. Did you know that if you have a lot, you have exactly what God wants you to have? And if you have a tiny amount, you have exactly what God wants you to have. God can bless you equally whether you have a lot or you have a little. And even people who feel rich ultimately can have nothing. We have exactly what God wants. He is sovereign. He is wise. We need to make sure we're not prideful. We need to make sure that we're not judging other people. And the last thing is this. We need to see serving the Lord as a privilege, not a sacrifice. As you think about these things in this parable, I'm thankful that one day I'm going to be in God's presence. I'm going to get heaven. I get God's love and care in my life right now. And my dad, who waited until he was 80 to come to know the Lord, when he died, and he got there first, so it's actually, we're not even getting the same thing. He got there first. But when my dad died and went into God's presence, he got the same reward I get. Isn't that awesome? I love that. And and that's the message of salvation that we deliver. We see people that are in need, and we want them to come to know the Lord, and we know that God is going to abundantly bless them. And it's all because of Jesus. If you have your your cups next to you, grab your cups. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you know, the Lord's Supper is where Jesus paid the price for our sin. It's where he enabled us to be blessed and to receive God's generous grace. Romans chapter 5 Verse 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. 
And then listen to this, verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Matthew chapter 26 talks about the first celebration of the Lord's Supper. And it says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. When we eat this bread, we remember that Jesus died for us. Let's eat. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink. Lord, we are so thankful for your generous grace in our life. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to remember what you have accomplished for us in your death, that we would focus on the good gift of salvation, the good gifts that you give us every day, that we would realize that we deserve nothing and we have never been cheated. Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on your good gifts rather than to compare ourselves with others. And Lord, most of all, I pray that you would help us as we fully comprehend your grace toward us, that we would express that grace toward others, that we would never be a place that's hard on people, that's judgmental, that's critical. We would remember that we were forgiven and loved because of Christ and that we would pour out that same generous mercy on others in your name. Amen.